Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Tyler Orton. And I'm Haley Wooden. Well, coming up a little later on in the show, we're speaking to Serge Pepin. He is an investment specialist of European equities over at BMO Global Asset Management. Had a very cool in-depth discussion with him all about how European markets, they're responding to everything from the Brexit talks. Uh, those have been going pretty badly at this point, mm-hmm. as, as well as German elections. We have kind of the, ri- the rise of these right-wing anti-immigrant nationalist parties going on, even though Angela Merkel did, in fact, retain her crown. Maybe that's not the correct uh, <laughs> her usage. Spot her spot yeah. at the top, you know. Uh she is now dealing with these right-wing parties in the Bundestag. So it's very fascinating conversation that Serge was able to uh, supply us. But uh, uh, before we get to that, I, I think we're some uh, announcements we need to make with regards to BIV. Yeah, that's right. So if you want to join us, we have a couple of events coming up. One is our top 100 fastest growing companies reception on October 11th at TELUS Garden. You and I always present on this list. It shows some fascinating and incredible levels of growth for some companies. I think one year it was five digit growth or something like that for a company on the list. So we always go through it. and it's It's a great event for networking. And we also have our brokers and bankers event coming up October 26th at Van City Theatre. We'll have representatives from both sides engage in a friendly debate about where your money belongs, whether you should put it in the hands of a broker or in the hands of a banker. So that's October 26th. You can find more information about both events and other events over at BIV.com slash events. Excellent. Well, why don't we take it away with Serge Pepin from BMO. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3. We are the daily business news program from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. Well, a little bit later on in October, Business in Vancouver is presenting a big discussion about whether you should invest through a bank or through a broker. So join us at the Van City Theatre for what we expect will be a very entertaining and engaging battle over the direction of investment and what it means for you. But first, I think we you know bring in somebody with a financial mind as well. With us today is Serge Pepin. He is an investment specialist in European equities at BMO Global Asset Management. We're looking at Canada right now. It looks like a bit of an island of stability compared to what's going on in much of the rest of the world. So I'm going to pick uh, Serge's brain right now when it comes to, say, the German elections. But first, Serge, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Tyler. So I just mentioned we had those weekend elections in Germany. Um, Angela Angela Merkel, she's uh, hanging on. Uh, I I think everybody expected that. But we do see these kind of anti-immigrant groups. Uh, They are making uh, their their way into the German uh, Reichstag at at this point. Tell me how markets are reacting. Sure. Um, That definitely, Tyler, what you said, and and you pinpointed it correctly by saying the, you know, the populist movement or the far far right movement, if if you will, has really taken ground in uh, in Europe. And a lot of that has to do with the anti-establishment, the anti-austerity, sort of, you know, coming from the, uh, the the European financial crisis back in 2008, as well as as recession in 2011, 2014. Now Germany uh, itself, uh, just because of the migrant crisis back in 2015, where Angela Merkel uh, accepted nearly over a, a million uh, migrants from Syria and, and the uh, in the Middle East, um, that if anything propelled some a lot of of anti-immigration uh, sentiment, and if anything that encouraged. Uh, uh, the far right parties to uh, to take hold in uh, in German politics. Now, this last election in uh, in Germany 
we were quite actually quite surprised that the uh, the uh, the mainstream parties if you will lost a lot of ground if you look at the the Bundestag which is the uh, the German polit- uh, uh, parliament um the, the the mainstream parties lost uh, nearly 100 seats and although Angela Merkel still secured her uh, her place and will uh, still be chancellor for uh, of Germany for the next uh, 4 years definitely her power was eroded by this uh, uh, far right movement now we saw this far right movement in in, uh, uh, in the Netherlands in the March election, and definitely we talked a lot about it in the, during the French uh, election as well in uh, April and uh, and May, with the Front National uh, being extremely extremely popular. Now, independent um, um, Emmanuel Macron was able to uh, to secure the uh, the presidency of, uh, of France. Now, to answer your question, and my apologies for uh, being long winded here. No, no, no. I, I love this. This is stuff that I live for. I, I'm sucking it all up. So please uh, go <laughs> on. Yeah. Because I can continue. Um, <laughs> But essentially... And markets reacted uh, once the markets uh, when the, the the results were uh, were known um, Sunday uh, Sunday evening and they came up pretty uh, pretty quickly as uh, as well the futures market sort of tumbled uh, a little bit and then the the spot market in uh, in Germany opened down as uh, as well now during the day those losses were reversed and we finished the day on on uh, on an upswing but definitely German politics has changed and uh, so Angela will need to to, uh, to compromise quite uh, quite a bit because I mean her uh, although she secured power uh, mainstream par- parties as I as I said has lost uh, a lot of, uh, of of that power and the AFD which is the alternative for uh, uh, for Deutschland the the far right party if you will anti immigration anti austerity and anti establishment uh, has picked up and for the first time since 1961 a far right party now will be part of uh, of parliament so if anything as I said German politics have changed. Are, are markets, you know, they love stability. Is this kind of a uh, uh, a reinvigoration of stability, knowing that Merkel is going to be continuing on with what she's been doing going into her next uh, term at this point? Definitely, and the fact that she is still Chancellor of of, uh, of Germany, and Germany is the powerhouse of, uh, of the European Union, uh, that has um, given a sense of stability for uh, uh, for markets. Now, what's going to be interesting is the type of coalition that uh, that she'll form. Uh, the SPD party, which is the uh, the the party in opposition, sort of more the uh, uh, the uh, left to center, if you uh, if if you will, policies very similar to uh, to Angela's. Uh, uh, party however has decided that they will be the main opposition which is good and i think markets have accepted that the fact that had they decided to to join merkel in a coalition like they had in the last parliament um then the afd would have become the official opposition mm. markets would not have liked that so it was smart of the spd to uh, to do that become the opposition uh party now merkel will need to look to the greens uh the green party as well as the uh, the free democratic party to form a a coalition, what we're going to call the Jamaican coalition. The reason why we call it the Jamaican coalition is because of of the uh, the, the party colors, if you will. Okay. It looks like the Jamaican flag. I like that. But I mean, this is not something, these kind of nationalist feelings, they're not something that's only going on in Germany. You kind of spelled it out. Uh, we also see it going on in, say, Hungary, uh, Poland as well. But are those Eastern European countries, are they having as much of an impact on, say, market stability as you know, you'd expect from what is essentially the powerhouse of the uh, European economy? 
Not to the same extent. Uh, if anything, what's happening in in uh, in Poland is worrisome, and 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 markets do look at it with with uh, uh, with some caution, just because the 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 party in in uh, in Poland, which had become democratic, if you if you will, after the the breakup of the Soviet Union, um, is now teetering towards dictatorship uh, at this point. Same thing in in uh, in Hungary. So definitely, markets are looking at that, but it, it's not having the same impact as as let's say the UK. Or or, uh, or France or uh, or Germany, and interestingly enough, Tyler, and I think you you pinpointed it correctly uh, in terms of this uh, this movement. We saw that in the U.S. and the fact that Trump was elected, a surprise election of of, uh, of Donald Trump as as forty fifth president. That really came from this anti immigration and and uh, sort of sentiment that you know us as 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 a voting population or as a citizen we don't feel part of the uh, of the government any uh, anymore we've sort of been overlooked and uh, so he was able to pinpoint that very correctly uh, although more than likely he doesn't uh, he doesn't believe 95% of his rhetoric he knows that his uh, his base does yeah you know you're based in the UK so i've got to ask you what are what's the feeling on the ground when it comes to the Brexit talks? I'm absolutely enthralled with the the Theresa versus Boris stuff that seems to be going on day to day. It's it's developing. How are people feeling about it right now, just day to day? And how are the markets responding to all this uncertainty that's going on with the Brexit? Definitely. Uh, you know, we have, uh, Brexit for breakfast every single day. And here in Canada, just looking at the, uh, the national papers, uh, you know, mention of Brexit is sort of on page five. For us, it is, uh, always on, on front page, uh, front page news. And it's interesting just because the, the, uh, the, uh, the politics in the, uh, in the UK and this Brexit thing that's taking quite a bit of, of, of time and even perhaps a little bit of uncertainty. I mean, we're already six months into the negotiation period. We haven't really gone anywhere. Where at uh, at this point, big speech uh, this past week with. Uh with uh, Prime Minister May in uh, in Florence, trying to establish her position or her government's uh, position vis-a-vis Brexit and the uh, and the negotiations, um, this is going to be a very very long process. And although we we hope that everything will be done within two years by May, uh, by March, I should say of 2019, that we should be out of the uh, the European Union with perhaps a two year uh, transition period. There's a good chance that this is going to take anywhere between five and ten years of uh, of negotiation. So this story is not finished. And when you mention in terms of, of the relationship between Prime Minister May and her cabinet, Boris Johnson being uh, part of that uh, of that cabinet, this is quite interesting as, as well, because you've got division in that party. And the fact that she lost quite a bit of, of, of leadership potential, if you will, with the last election, an election that should not have, uh, that, that should not have existed, if, if, you, uh, if you will, she, she wanted to really to reassure her, her position. But unfortunately, it 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 played against her. Uh, so, if anything, it's giving that fraction in the Conservative Party of 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 Britain uh, that 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 anti-establishment again, anti-immigration. Uh, uh, a platform of that uh, of that fraction, sort of a, a better voice, and that's not helping the situation in Britain. Well, I got to ask though, because the first bouts of economic data we were getting post Brexit, it actually looked surprisingly positive. It took a lot of people uh, by surprise, but tell me, how is the economy doing uh, a year plus after the Brexit vote? 
Now, the, the economy in, in, in Britain is still good, perhaps not as strong as it was a few, uh, a few months ago. We've got uh, uh, consumer sentiment as well as consumer spending that has, uh, has come down to some degree, and a lot of that is explained by inflation. Inflation in Britain has come up compared to other countries uh, in, uh, um, in Euroland. However, we still feel that the fundamentals of, of the, the British economy are, are very strong at, uh, at this point. Brexit has not really come into play when it comes to, uh, to the economy. There's a good chance, and, and the Bank of England has, has, uh, has sort of built that into its scenario, that uh, by leaving the European Union, um, that we will feel it, uh, economically speaking. However, we still believe that we're in, a, you know, the Bank of England is a strong position, can, can still um, uh, decrease uh, interest rates or bring interest rates down, still, you know, provide stimulus in the, uh, the economy. So I don't think that we'll, uh, uh, we'll suffer too greatly. Then again, you know, two years hence, uh, it will all depend how this uh, this pans out and what we get out of this uh, this deal or this divorce. Well, I got to ask, what, what's the sentiment towards uh, one of the best known Canadians over there, Mark Carney, at this point? Because I understand he's not going to be sticking around forever when it comes to being the governor of the Bank of England. Correct. His term is is up. Actually, I believe it's it's uh, it's next year, sort of a five year uh, five year term, and uh, um, he hasn't really expressed at the at this point if he wants to uh, to stick around. Or uh, uh, or not, but to your point, maybe he's looking for uh, for bigger and and uh, and better things. Mark is, is uh, if anything, has has built a good reputation, very solid uh, reputation, very much uh, what what he had built here in Canada as as a Bank of Canada governor. Um, he's kind of transposed that in uh, uh, across the uh, across the ocean, and uh, so um, although the Bank of England was blamed um, just because just prior to the uh, the uh, June referendum that we had in, in 2016. The dire scenario that the Bank of England uh, came out with, politicians were were uh, uh, were quite upset with the Bank of England. The fact that it kind of had uh, politicized uh, itself, I think that has uh, has died down. I think that Mark Carney had a reason uh, to do it and needed to express his opinion in terms of economic uh, behavior in that uh, in that country. But it'll be interesting to see what Mark does uh, over the next uh, year or two. Well, we're speaking to Serge Pepin. He's an investor. Specialist of European Equities at BMO Global Asset Management. We want to take the conversation elsewhere. Serge, I've got to ask you this. You're actually based in the UK, but you're back in Canada talking about a new product with a lot of clients. Uh, it's environmental, social, and governance investing. We're hearing a lot about this more and more. Tell us a little bit about what the appeal is of these uh, ESG products, as people are calling them. By all means. And, and you know, ESG sort of has, has existed for, uh, for a number of years. I think that, you know, we come in with with a lot of heritage, a lot of experience in in uh, in that field, having done this since uh, since 1984, and starting our tour here in Canada and uh, on the West Coast, if if anything, there's a reason for that. Uh, if anything, the BC population is very much um, in favor of ESG. I think the the younger population is looking at it as an opportunity, if anything, to better the uh, the world, better the uh, the society. So from an from an E environmental, S social, or G governance, and uh, 
so definitely we're seeing the interest, especially out of endowment funds, universities, uh, where students have a very, very important uh, voice, wanting to make sure that universities are, are, uh, are investing uh, foundation uh, money as well as pension plan money and, and so on wisely and uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a very uh, uh, proactive, uh, uh, proactive way as, uh, as well. So it's, it's extremely appealing for, uh, for us. And we think that if anything, BC is, 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 is sort of uh, led the way here in, in Canada when it comes to, uh, to ESG. Well, can you give me an example of, um, you know, maybe what's the go-to thing that you point at when people are asking about this uh, is a good representative of what these products are all about? Well, what we're trying to uh, to show, if if anything, is is the choosing of, of companies and and choosing of companies that look to provide services and products uh, to answer to the, to the global challenges, uh, be it climate uh, control, being uh, a water, if uh, if you will, we all need water and we all need clean water. So the types of, of companies that would provide those uh, those services, renewable energy is uh, is another one, wind power as as uh, as an example, right? So where are we going? Going to get that electricity uh, over the next uh, few uh, uh, few years, and so we we're, we're seeing that that uh, the younger generation is thinking ahead more so perhaps that than my generation is at uh, um, at this point, and that's why we're so uh, we're so encouraged that these young people are looking for companies to provide these types of uh, of services, so they know that they can live in in a clean world as well as their uh, uh, future kids and future generations. And I guess on the opposite side, it's also what is not in the portfolio that is important to people. I, I, I'm just using this as an example, but you would not likely find a munitions company mm-hmm. like involved with these kinds of portfolios. Are, are people coming to you being aware of more what they want to invest in or, or what they don't want uh, their portfolio to be involved with? A couple, a couple, it's sort of both, if if uh, if you will. Now, we know that Canada, as an economy, is is a very resource-based uh, economy, and energy is extremely important uh, to us. So there are Canadian uh, energy companies that are looking at renewable uh, energy as opposed to fossil fuel, or trying to perhaps minimize their fossil fuel impact, uh, looking now more at, at alternative uh, energy. And we find that extremely encouraging, perhaps not to to where they should be today. Uh, however, there is a movement and, and that's what people want to see as uh, uh, as well. So here in, in Canada, that the fact that uh, the economy is, is somewhat perhaps different than it is in the US or that it is in, in some European uh, countries, we have to be careful because uh, people, I mean, the energy component of, of, Canada, of, of Canada is a big employer as, uh, as well. So and, and is a big contributor to the economic activity activity or economic health of this uh, of this country but the fact that we're seeing progress uh, by many of these companies is, is extremely encouraging to us and also encouraging to uh, uh, to as I said the uh, the younger generation now to your point um, and there's there's a myth out there that you know by not participating in certain fields or certain sectors that you'll miss out on uh, on performance that uh, by adopting an ESG approach in your investment portfolio that you'll compromise uh, when it comes to uh, to performance we believe that that is quite the opposite it may have been in the past because the universe of ESG companies was relatively small today that that universe has expanded because companies do see the benefit of adopting these ESG practices or good practices especially when 
when it comes to governance, when it comes to their social and environmental uh, impact. And we believe that these companies that adopt these types of practices benefit financially. And at the end of the uh, of the day, they enhance shareholder um, uh, returns as uh, as well. Okay. Well, Serge, I'll leave you with one last question before we go here. I- I've got to ask you this, but do you think EU negotiators, their ultimate goal is to make this as painful as possible to deter other, you know, uh, efforts to exit the European Union. And if, if so, are they being successful at this at this point in the game? At this point, yes, to to a certain extent. If if anything, you've got uh, you know the EU sort of in charge of twenty eight uh, twenty eight countries, including the uh, uh, the UK. So the twenty seven other countries uh, that are part of this negotiation, and some of them may be wanting to to exit this bureaucratic world of of the EU, uh, may think about it twice uh, before going out for a, uh, for a referendum. Uh, so definitely, the EU. This is not going to be a piece of cake for the uh, uh, for the UK. At the end of the day, though, we do believe that the UK needs the EU as much as the EU needs the UK. So some compromise will need to be, uh, uh, to be had at the, uh, uh, at the end of, uh, of all of this. And I think that countries will uh, talk to the EU leadership and make sure that, you know, yes, we want to be tough, but we want to be reasonable as well. Okay, I'll, I'll throw this at you as well, because, you know, some in the UK are looking to Canada, seeing that the uh, trade agreement that we have, CETA, could be kind of a an example of what they could have going forward. But is it kind of apples and oranges at this point? Or, or is there really room for, uh, you know, the UK to emulate what Canada has reached with the European Union here? Correct. Uh, and you bring a, a very good uh, good point, because there are two types of ne- uh, trade agree- uh, agreements, uh, the Norway agreement, as well as the uh, the, uh, the Canada agreement. And both of them are being looked at. And there are plus and minuses to uh, uh, to both of them at this uh, this point. Now, what Prime Minister Theresa May has said this uh, this week was that she doesn't want to adopt either one of them, that she wants to forge her own uh, trade uh, agreement with the sort of a, a British flair, if you uh, if you will. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens now. The, the CETA is relatively new, just started this uh, this week, essentially. And uh, so we'll see how this uh, this unfolds while we have the, the Norway one as well. But the Norway also has free movement of people. So that's what they agreed to while CETA doesn't uh, doesn't have that, of course, and so definitely the UK would not go for uh, for the no way agreements because this free uh, movement of, of people is is what brought Brexit, and uh, so it will be interesting over the next uh, few uh, few months to see what kind of agreement we're uh, we're looking to uh, to forge with the EU. I, have they gotten any sort of handle on what's going to happen with all these you know UK citizens that are living in say Spain or just maybe people from Poland that have moved to the UK and had kids there started to raise a family over the last few years I, I that seems to be such a complex issue right correct now. well there were three bones of contention if if, uh, if you will going into the negotiations and where the EU negotiators said that we will not talk to the the UK about trade agreements until three issues are solved or at least three issues are talked about. The number one was in terms of UK citizens living in uh, in Europe. So that's about 3 million uh, UK citizens, as well as European citizens living in uh, uh, in in the UK, so the rights and privileges of, uh, of of these citizens, so that needed to be talked about. The number two was the Irish border, as you know. Uh, since 1922, Ireland split into uh, uh, in two different uh, regions, if you will, the Republic of Ireland in the south 
and the Northern Ireland that's still part of the uh, uh, of the UK. There's no border, no no physical border between uh, between the two since 1998, the uh, the Good Friday Agreement. The question is now. Since the Republic of, of Ireland is part of the EU, will we have a physical border? Definitely Northern Ireland doesn't want to see a physical border, nor does the Republic of, of Ireland. So that needed to be negotiated or talked about. And number three was in terms of that divorce bill. Uh, the EU has come out with anywhere between 60 billion euros and 100 billion euros to pay. While we, we sort of came out, uh, with sort of a negotiation tactic of about 20 to 30, uh, billion euros at, uh, uh, at this point. So we're willing to pay our fair share. However, we do not believe that it's going to be anywhere between 50 or it shouldn't be anywhere between 50 and, uh, and 100 billion. Um, so those were the three main issues at, uh, at this point and still not resolved. However, we've gotten perhaps closer, uh, to resolving these, uh, these issues than we were a few weeks ago. Well, I think I'm just going to go back to what I said at the very beginning of our conversation. But Canada, it's looking like a bit of an island of stability. And you should be point. happy about that. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, Serge, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much for the invite. That, that is Serge Pepin. He is an investment specialist of European equities at BMO Global Asset Management. And you've been listening to Business in Vancouver on Roundhouse Radio 98.3 FM. I'm Tyler Orton. Yeah, very cool interview with Serge Pepe. I can't believe it just kind of his insights that he was able to share with us, but I'm very thankful that he took as much time as he did to jump on it with our show. Yeah, no, a fascinating interview, uh, lots going on and uh, interesting too. We've talked about some of these trends for months on the radio show, so good yeah. to get his insights. Well, Haley, if anybody wants to find you or your stories, where should they go? It can head over to BIV.com for the latest business news and connect with me on social media. My handle is at Haley Wooden, H-A-Y-L-E-Y-W-O-O-D-I-N. And you can find me at Reporton, that's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. And until next time, this is the Business in Vancouver podcast.